Dear God, here we are gathered on a midweek, and it's a great joy to have a break in our week, to look deeply into your word, be astounded at this intimate discourse that Jesus has with his disciples, to know that we are invited into that. It's why the Holy Spirit captured these words. It's why we're called to follow Christ, uh, just as they themselves followed Christ. And thank you that we can look at this and know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that as we sit here, we sit here in solidarity with that same fellowship, with that same charge, and really uh, with that same challenge. Thank you, God, that you would think of us so highly and that you would give us these opportunities to be significant for your name's sake. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Any of you guys ever watch the XFL? No? Remember it was short-lived? Does anybody remember the most famous jersey name in the XFL? He hate me. He hate me. That was like quickly from the five of you who know about the XFL. It is essentially the title of the sermon tonight. He hate me. But who is he? He is everyone in the world if you're with Jesus. And here we go. Verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, and that little sticker that you see, uh, and that uh, branding that you see in some sorts of Christian merchandising, comes from this very passage. Not of this world. Because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they wouldn't have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me, Hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. By, by the way, and I'll, I'll finish this in just a moment. It's interesting that all of these people that are in the world are very religious. He's not talking about party animals here, hating him or hating the disciples. He's talking about religious folks that have gotten caught up in their own righteousness, even self-righteousness, to the point that it seethes over in a hatred for those that would abandon all and abandon self to follow Jesus. Verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Or, depending on your translation, he will testify. And that is part of what the Holy Spirit will do. He'll come to be our advocate, but he'll also come to use us to testify to the world everything about Jesus. And thus, Spirit-filled people will have this as their, their great energizing to do the work of God. Uh, The spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness or he will testify about me. 
And you also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me, despite what they proclaim. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I want to look at three reasons why the world would hate Jesus, why the world clearly hated these apostles, these disciples, and why the world would hate you as well. Uh, And it's also not some sort of an optional thing, by the way. Second Timothy three says something rather profound. Three twelve, whoever wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Yeah, you know it well. Uh, and, and and for us to think that we're wiser, we're more enlightened, we're greater than our teacher. Well, Jesus doesn't even give us room for that. Do you think that you are just more socially savvy? If that's the case then you're not apparently doing it the way that Jesus does it and not really following Christ uh, because that, that is the promise. Anyone who really desires to have the course of your life to be godliness, the blowback of it will be that the world will punch you right back in the nose. Here's part of the reasons, at least why scripture says that the world hated Jesus, hated his disciples, and likewise, would, would, would even hate you. Well, first and foremost, it's something profound that Jesus said just a couple chapters earlier. If you remember the, the thing that he said, it was that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except how? Amen. Yes, that is rather narrow. That is rather exclusive. That, by the way, rails against the core sensibility of everyone today. That is one of the most nails on the chalkboard grating sounds that you can present, unfortunately, to the world today. The absolute authoritative, clear statement by Jesus that I am the only way to ultimate deliverance. I am the only way to heaven. I am the only way to the Father. I am the only way for salvation. You think, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Again, Jesus doesn't doesn't make any sort of exception for any of those things. He makes it clear. And by the way, if it were not the case, and I know I've made this argument before, but if it were not the case that he were the only way, then he is an absolute fool and the father is an absolute monster. He has to be the only way. You have to go to the mat for the fact that he is the only way. Because if you don't, and if you open the door, or if they opened the door, or if Jesus opened the door for some other way, well then, look at how awful the absolute butchering of the cross is. Right. In order for God to disrupt us all, show us his love. He then allows his very own son 
to be butchered beyond human recognition, to be tortured, where, as the famous Journal of American Medical Associates article said of their analysis of what happened to Jesus, that the flesh of his back would be left as quivering ribbons of flesh. That he endured some of the worst scourging ever that was ever in vogue on the earth at any time. And he came at just that time. And then not only that, but then endured a cross. To be held up, stripped naked, humiliated, on public display, a curse before all people. To endure all of that, and then, to in some way or another, allow that there's another way? Well then... Oh my goodness. Why not just point people to that way? If you could namaste your way to heaven, well, why not that way? If there's another road up the mountain that meets at the same place. Well, why not go ahead and use the GPS and go over to that other path up the mountain? Well, it's because there is no other path up the mountain. And, and to proclaim or to embrace or in any way to think, well, maybe, you know, that's good for you, but this is good for me. To even suggest that you are leaving Jesus out to dry in one of the worst possible ways. And my goodness, to have a love that is so extreme, so wonderful in, in this way that is, that is brought to bear for you. Is it so terrible that that also happens to be the very way that God wants you to be reconciled to him? is through this ultimate expression and reality of his real sacrifice to show you how valuable you are. And there's no other way that allows you to know how valuable you are at a cosmic level than this way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. By the way, that's just the way. The fact that he's the truth, the exclusivity of truth, he's got a corner on the truth. My goodness, you want to... You want to have a, a fight immediately? Well, then go ahead and say that, that there is an exclusivity on truth on top of that. We don't have time for the depth of, of that tonight. But Jesus makes this absolutely clear. And you know what? He has the ethos and the logos and the pathos behind it all to, to really earn the right to say that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and by the way, on top of all of that, he is the one that has done that effectively beyond any other human being that has ever walked across the world stage. Amazingly so. On top of this exclusivity, and by the way, this is not just a modern phenomenon. The way that the Roman Empire held itself together was by not allowing for any of the competing constructs under heaven of truth or life or salvation to ever say of another philosophy or religion that it is wrong and I am right. And so you had the pantheon of gods. You had a temple on every corner in every Roman colony. Uh, why? Because that's the way that Rome was able to knit together such a far-flung disparate empire with different worldviews. Is by saying, let's, let's all just get along and let's kind of 
embrace this big tent coalition. And by, by doing so, your truth is your truth and his truth is his truth. And just let it ride. Jesus didn't allow that to be the way. And Jesus walked into that tent and he walked into that tent and he walked into that temple and he walked into that temple to let them all know there's only one way. And I bet there's a little bit of you that even as I say that, there's a little bit of you that feels like, oh, yeah, why does he have to do it that way? Because it's the worldview of our of our day of like, oh, but shouldn't we be tolerant? Isn't that so intolerant? Jesus was absolutely tolerant of people. What he wasn't tolerant of was lies. Lies of the world, lies of the prince of this of this age, lies from Satan that would undermine the very deliverance that God so desperately wanted to take his people out of the fall and ultimately restore them back into the beauty and the splendor that he really wants for every one of us. And, and yes, Jesus is absolutely intolerant of everything that sets itself up against the very knowledge of God, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. But he is tolerant as you all get out. By the way, we are, by the way, intolerant of ideas, but look at the rainbow coalition we got in this place. We are very tolerant of old people, young people, dark, light, in between, whatever it might be. This, this doesn't exist except where there is an overarching transcendent love that has a beautiful toleration that goes way beyond just the birds of a feather flocking together that the world can kind of uh, cobble together when, when, when they try to talk about tolerance. And by the way, go to some place where they where they preach tolerance and, and see how deep the tolerance for, for different type of people really runs. See if they've actually had a, a real variety of demographic folks in their homes, at their table. This happens in Christianity. By the way, every other religion under the sun, you can pretty much confine it to a very small swath of geography. Christianity is almost perfectly balanced on all of the inhabited continents. It's almost odd how it's somewhere in the 20% range of all Christians are in North America, about 20% in South America, about 20% in Africa, 20% in, in uh, Europe, and, and 20% in, uh, in Asia. Like that's unbelievable that, that that's how it's spread. But if you wanna look at Islam, 99% in a very small little swath of North Africa in, into Indonesia and into uh, the Middle East. That's, that's where it's contained. Hinduism, tighten the circle even more. And you've got 99% right, right, right in there. Only Christianity has been able to bust out. And only Christianity, by the way, is the only one of all of those things that makes such an exclusive claim that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. Astounding. Uh, number two uh, re reason why uh, the world hated Jesus and why they would hate you is because you've broken loyalty with the world. As, as Jesus says here, they're, they're going to hate you because you're not of the world anymore. You are no longer of the world. And that's a scary thing for the world. 
Because the world doesn't have leverage on you anymore. And, and people can't trust the way that you make decisions anymore. I thought, I thought we were kind of like sin buddies and that was our bond. Well, when that goes away, well, then where's that common basis by which someone can trust the way that you make sense of them and everything else that's going on around you? When, when you break with the world, that's, that's pretty intense stuff. Suddenly, America is not your identity. You have citizenship in a greater country, as Hebrews 11 tells us in the Hall of Faith. To you now, if, if you have a Jesus worldview, you regard the nations as but, Isaiah 40 says, a drop in the ocean, dust on the scales. All the things that people get exercised about, about America, and God forbid within America, the two subsets of the political parties, that get people so passionate and energized of as, if it is, as if it is some overarching purpose for their lives, Jesus says, you know what that is? That's a rounding error. You know in, in uh, high school, where you learn to use the, the, the triple arm balance, and you, know, you had to actually even uh, zero it out and take into account dust, which was some particle with one effect on the, on the weight that you were looking to measure. He's saying, that's America. So what are we getting all exercised about? And, and if, if you're no longer now given your identity by the stuff of this world, well, then this world is going to have a hard time with you. And that's why Rome had a hard time with the Christians. They were viewed as disloyal. Do you get more energized over the current political debate or over bringing Jesus to all of those same people? You don't have to be sucked into that stupid mire. Dust on a scale. You've got Jesus. You've got citizenship in a greater country. Who cares the way those things go down? Sure, praise God that we end up in a cool place and it all works out. I mean, no, nobody here is saying be, be spoiled or be a diva about all of that. But nonetheless, don't let that be your identity. Don't let that be your security. Don't let that be your passion when it's not meant to be. Uh, when you have a, a, an overarching purpose that goes far beyond that. Because you are not of this world. And, and, and God forbid that NFL teams or a, a college football game or any of those things get you more hype than Jesus. Amen. Right? The, the, yes, it's fun and it's bonding. And it's a way to kind of be all things to all people. But we also realize, sure, it's just that. We got Jesus. And then thirdly, and, and maybe most significantly, the, the reason that Jesus said back in chapter 7, verse 7, why the world hated him was because he calls out the evil of the world. In John three nineteen, John will tell us that this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But how did men feel about the light? Anybody remember? They hated the light. They hated the light for fear that their deeds would be exposed. As we really seek to bring people to repentance, uh, we're going to have to do the testifying, exposing, reproving 
some cases rebuking work that we're called to do. In Ephesus, the church is told, as children of light, have nothing to do with the deeds, sinful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And it's no fun. And nobody likes to do that. Anybody trying to bring someone to Jesus, of course, would most likely just want to say, Jesus loves you. Just accept him into your heart. There's plenty of farce out there that calls itself Christianity that is doing it that way. And that way, by the way, is interesting because on most college campuses, because we don't do it that way, they're the folks that persecute us. Because we really are trying to expose the evil deeds of darkness. We really are trying to bring people to repentance. And who here isn't the magnificent beneficiary of someone having the gumption, having the Holy Spirit courage to sit down with you and believe you me, they were praying it up like they never prayed before when they decided to sit down with you and open up the scriptures and help to expose the darkness that was your life and my life. Praise God that somebody did that. Again, nobody really likes confrontation. I'm from New Jersey, and it's not even like my favorite thing. <laughs> right? If, 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 if it's time to, to sit down and really talk to someone about, we're going to have to have a hard talk about this. Nobody likes that. Why do we do it? Not because we want to have one-upsmanship. Nobody's into that. We do it because we know it's the only path to deliverance because it's the path that Jesus said. The beauty of it all is, is that it bandages the wound thoroughly. It brings real healing both to the world. And by the way, the very next passage that we're going to read in John 16 is going to say that the spirit comes. And why is it going to be better that the spirit comes? Because the spirit through you is going to convict the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. Or expose the world and all of its self-righteousness, sin, and loss of salvation and, and judgment of where they're going. These are hard things to talk about. And, and nobody embraces that when you talk about it. But let me encourage you. If you're going to make a difference for Jesus, you got to go there. And don't ever fear the persecution. God forbid that we think that we know a better way. Run right into it. Don't don't let that be your concern. Let your only concern be loving that person the way that Jesus would love that person. And at some point in time, Jesus is not just simply going to affirm that person all day long. There's going to come a time where Jesus is going to have to do what he just said here, that he is going to have to expose the evil deeds of this world. John 7, 7. And, and again, remember what he said. And that is why you hate me. And they will hate you. So you know what? You signed up for a job in which Jesus loves you. This I know for the Bible tells you so. But the world hates your guts. This I know because the Bible tells me so. They go together. But why not live the adventure? Why not live the battle? Why not engage in the rescue mission? Rather than being among those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat have learned the art of almost saying something. That's not what spirit-filled people do. Spirit-filled people go there. And the, the more that we're willing to do so, 
the more that there's going to be difficult times, but the more that we're going to help people at the heart level, at the depth at which Jesus wants them really to be helped. But there is one big difference between Jesus being hated and you being hated. When Jesus was hated, we all left him. When Jesus was hated, there was no one to stand beside him whatsoever. But when you're hated, when you get blowback, Jesus is standing with you. Jesus is standing for you, as he did for Stephen in Acts chapter 8. Jesus is by your side. Paul says the same thing. When there was no hope and no one with me, and I was facing persecution that I thought was beyond me, the Lord came and stood beside me. And so the Holy Spirit is there for you. Jesus is there with you. And that as you do his work, and as the world punches back right in your throat, you're not alone. You are in absolute solidarity with Jesus and with all those that have gone before you. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 13 says that. Consider those that have gone before us. Consider the outcome of their way of life. It's amazing. Consider the outcome of their way of life. And do what? Imitate that faith. And just as I'm getting ready to say at that moment, yeah, but the writer of Hebrews takes my excuse away. Because you know what he says next in verse 8? Jesus is the same for them yesterday, today, and for the people that are going to be coming after us. Jesus is the same. He endured it all for you. He endured it all for you so that he could embolden someone that would come into your life and speak truth into your soul, expose you, disrupt you, and ultimately bring you into a fully healed wound that is, that, that is now delighting in, in everything that you were meant to delight in. And he's doing it so that you too can be part of that very mission. There is no plan B. You are it. So in we go, but we don't go alone. And by the way, we don't just go with Jesus. We go with one another. We go in solidarity as well, because all of these yous that are here on this page are plural. And the world doesn't just hate you or you or you individually. The world is not happy with the whole lot of you. You're all repugnant. You're all three old three day old fish. You're toxic waste. Your misery on ice. But nonetheless, you are that together. But the only reason that you are that is because to those who are being saved, you are the very fragrance of God. Because it does say in the middle of this, if they listen to my word, they'll listen to yours as well. And just because every now and again that happens, so we get after it again. And so we get after it again. Because it's more than worth it. Because it's the only way that each and every one of us came to be here right now. So as we break to our groups, let's talk about why we think we may not be persecuted. What would change if we really did imitate Jesus and these early disciples? Amen. Let's break to our groups.